Luke chapter 2. I've spoken this once. We didn't have Saturday night, so uh, usually I work out all the kinks on a Saturday night service. And by the time I get to you guys here at the third service, it is a well-oiled machine. Uh, but uh, grateful to be able to talk to you this morning as we finish up this series on waiting. I uh, had a busy week. Uh, my daughter, uh, who has lived in Tallahassee as a student at uh, Florida State University, she graduated in May. She stayed there until just this past week, hanging out with some of her friends who are graduating in December. Uh, but they've closed up shop at the apartment that they shared. And uh, so Cooper, my son, and I drove up there Monday, moved her back down. It's all in my garage. Has anybody ever done this? Yeah. Uh, Thursday it was my wife's birthday, and uh, we celebrated. Anybody else? I got a family member who's got a birthday around Christmas. Do you have very stringent rules about that? Don't be blurring the lines between Christmas and my birthday. We uh, we uh, we enjoy uh, celebrating Eleanor's birthday every year, and had a great time this year uh, doing that. But Friday, here's here's I'd say all that to say this: it's been a busy week. Friday night and Saturday night, I got to do uh, weddings each night with some family. Some people were attending them, uh, but uh, uh, with four families. Uh, who are just awesome, and their kids are amazing. And uh, so it was just such a blessing to be a part uh, of those coming togethers, comings together, I don't know how to say that, those, those marriages. Um, and, and the great part of every wedding that I found is that the wait is now over. Anybody remember that when you were getting married? You just, just the, it seems like forever. Once you circle the date and prepare and make all the invitations and all that stuff, it seems just like forever for that day to get here, but then it finally does, and it's just such a relief. The, the couple that I married Saturday night had asked me to marry them almost a year and a half before their wedding. That might be the longest. Like, they asked me, hey, can you marry us in December of 2019? I was like, you know, it's not even that year yet, right? And uh, so, I, I, yeah, I think I'm open. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we, we finally got to see them say their, uh, their I do's. I, I, I love, as a pastor, I've done a, you know, a lot of weddings, and so one of my favorite things is to stand in the groom's room as, as the grooms are you know, with their bridal parties uh, you know, fixing to get married. It's, it's, it's really pretty cool. I don't know if you remember your time, if you're here married, if you remember those last minutes that you were a single person. But I get to watch that over and over again. You know? And I watch both these guys who are so ready to be married. They've got amazing women. Uh, as wives, but, uh, but, you know, I always ask him, so how's it feel? Any last, any last thoughts as a single guy? These are your last comments as a single man, you know? It's like, one of the guy last night was like, it was a good run, uh, I'm really happy. <laughs> he was funny. <laughs> uh, but in a world where we are told to wait a lot, has anybody noticed this? Like, I can't tell you how many times now I call a business who has called me and asked me to call them in reference to whatever business we're doing together, and I'll call them back, and the first words out of their mouths are, thank you so much for calling whatever their business names is, and can you hold, please? Is anybody, like, this is like the standard, like, I don't even know if there's another call. I don't know if it's just like, hey, we're just going to put you on hold for 20 minutes. Is that Okay. Uh, and and that's, that's my typical move now. And so I, I've got, I don't know if you're this way, but if I get put on hold now, I just put it on speakerphone and I set it on the side of my desk and I go on with my day. It's almost like the, the, the background music of the, of the, you know, the phone waiting uh, line uh, just kind of blends in with my life. And, uh, but, you know, we're just made to wait. Like, like even at church, in about 35 minutes, phones are going to start coming up. When's this joker getting done, right? And <laughs> some of you are like, I would never do that, Mark. You totally do it. I did it. It's totally fine. Because we, we have schedules, we have places we want to go and things that are next and when we have to wait or when schedules get interrupted or 
It's just hard for us in our culture. We're, we're programmed that way. Travel outside of the United States, people aren't programmed that way. It'll happen when it happens. But here in our culture, we've got to get it going. Uh, so I have become accustomed in this world of waiting to enjoying the end of the wait. I love the sound of someone's voice on a phone that's been on hold for 20 minutes. Don't you love that? I'm like, like sometimes I'm almost forgetting that I'm on the phone. Has anybody ever been there? There's like a voice in the room. You're like, where's that coming from? Oh, hey, hi, how are you? Or when, you know, uh, whether it's church, I hope it's not church, but when things that you've been a part of that have been going on and on finally come to a close, oh, good. The wait is over. I love it when waiting's end. Christmas is, a, is, a, is another season of waiting, especially for kids. Maybe uh, those of us who are kids at heart can still uh, feel this, but uh, uh, certainly when I was a kid, man, I just, I could hardly sleep on Christmas Eve. Every year, they'd, they'd put you to bed. Uh, my parents would. That's the they. Anyway, uh, and I'd, I'd go, I'd, I'd just try with all my might to close my eyes, and, and what would they tell you as parents? Just close your eyes, and when they open, it'll be Christmas, right? Simple enough, right? But I just couldn't, I couldn't nod off. And then, who here was the family that you would wake up early as a kid, when you were a kid, and you would just go haul your parents uh, out of their beds, and they would just groggily come downstairs. It's, you know, it's still dark out. It's five in the morning, and in five minutes, you've opened every present. I just loved your family. If that was you, I loved your family because my family, that was not the case. We had all of these regimented, you know, wake up, make your bed. I had to make my bed before I opened my presents. I'm like, what kind of sadistic stuff is this, right? Make your bed, have your breakfast. I would sit down in the living room and my dad would read what felt like the entire Bible. Has anybody been through that? I'm like, skip to the good part so we can open the... And, and then finally... After what seemed like forever, the waiting would end, and you'd get to do what you were wanting to do all along. My wife, Eleanor, told me the story recently, this last story, uh, that uh, actually told me back when we were dating, and I was like, oh, it's so bad. Um, she's, she and her brother are, are the youngest cousins in her whole family, and their whole family, uh, you know, six, uh, I think six, yeah, six brothers and sisters and their families, they would all together, the whole kit and caboodle, everybody would come together for Christmas. And the rule was that until everybody was there, no presents could be opened. Well, she was 10 years younger than all of her older cousins who were all adults and who didn't have the same concerns as her about Christmas. They didn't care if they got there. And so one year, Cousin Jack, apparently, you know, uh, for whatever reasons, just could not bother to show up until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Th this is borderline child abuse at this point, right? <laughs> and she, you know, she's just staring at a tree with gifts with her name on it, and she's nine years old, and she can't open any of them until Jack walks through the door. She still hasn't forgiven him. It's uh, something they're working on. <laughs> Years of therapy. <laughs> but as we talk about Christmas every year at this time, uh, this year I'm marked by the truths that I've kind of been alluding to in some of these stories. Um, I think theologically what I like best about the coming of Christ, is that the waiting for all that God has for us in Christ is marked by the ending of, of, of that wait. When his first coming occurred, the wait was over. Like, picture this. The telling of Christ started in the Garden of Eden. Remember, we talked about that the first week of this series, that 
Um, right after sin occurred, God said to the, to the tempter, he said, listen, one's going to come from the line or the lineage of this woman who will crush your head. I've, I've purposed that in the future a human will be born and, and that human will be the rescuer of all those who are marred by sin. And so from the beginning of time, literally almost, to the time of Christ's birth, there had been this waiting. And at, at Christ's birth, the waiting was over. Like that magical moment that you're sitting, you know, in the restaurant and that buzzer thing goes off and the lights go on, right? But times that by infinity, spiritually speaking, that's my favorite part about Christmas. It wasn't just the end of the wait for the coming of Christ, it was the beginning of the joy of this new covenant that he brings us. One that, as we'll see today, includes not just the Jews to which he was born to, but to the Gentiles and to thousands and years and, and, and thousands of generations of human beings uh, all over the world who have found faith in life in Christ. I think as you read the story in the Gospels, you pick up some particular themes. One of the big themes in the story of Christmas in the Gospels is confusion. You see how that's kind of, you know, played out in a lot of the characters' lives, like Mary, just minding her own business, and an angel appears to her and says, you're going to bear the Son of God. Kind of freaked, would it freak you out? Yeah. And then Joseph, same story, he finds out his, uh, his fiance is pregnant, and he doesn't want to disgrace her. He's going to be kind. He could have done much more uh, damaging and, and uh, vengeful things. But he's, you know, uh, in the story of Matthew, he just says, you know, I'm going to kind of just set her aside. And then an angel comes to her and says the same deal. Uh, hey, don't, don't let Mary go. She's going to be used in the story that God is writing in reality. He's, you, you need to stay. This, this son is special. And so despite their confusion and even despite some of the affirmations, like Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth and, and Elizabeth's baby jumps in the womb, remember that? And then um, uh, even as, as they're you know, heading to Bethlehem and, and, and Jesus is about to be born, uh, uh, these shepherds, as we kind of transition in Luke chapter 2 today, these shepherds, as you've heard the story uh, told, you know, were just minding their flocks by night, minding their business, and God tells them. Uh, and certainly the shepherds were confused, right? They were sore afraid. They were so afraid it hurt, Right? Thank you. And uh, lots of confusion around the story. Uh, to this day, maybe you're sitting here because you're visiting family for Christmas and they were going to church, so you're politely here. Thanks for hanging out. But uh, the story that you know, I'm telling and that you've heard told before in the church, is just confusing to you. You're like, what? There's a God and God had a son and he was born uh, to a virgin and and, you know, lived here on our earth and died. I mean, it's, just, it's confusing to you. Certainly confusion surrounds the story then and the story now when it comes to Christmas. But, but I want to I talk about today the things that I think could and should be uh, the greatest takeaways from the Christmas story. Because there in those original characters, you, you see, especially in the, in the people that we're going to meet today, this incredible relief an unspeakable joy when they finally realize who this kid is. This is the Messiah, like the shepherds, as we read in Luke 2.20. They, they go away from their experience uh, with Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph, and they, they rejoice at having been privileged with this interaction with the promised Messiah. They, they leave telling everybody who will listen. We've seen him. 
They believed, and it changed their entire experience. They, they felt relief. They felt joy. The wait's over. The Messiah has come. I know that I feel that in my life with Christ. My story, real quick, I, I grew up in, in, in a church. I like, was born one week and was there the next week. My, pa, my, my dad you know, worked at one. And, and so uh, I basically just grew up hearing the story of Jesus. Uh, I knew the language. I had the accent down. Uh, but as far as me having a true relationship, a personal relationship with Christ, that came later in life. Uh, where I refer to it as, as I came online. And I came online when I fully understood the gravity, the weight of my sin. Like I, you know, before I understood uh, my spiritual need and, and the sin and, that I had in my life and the effect that it had on my life, I thought I was, you know, I was a pastor's kid. I was a good kid. I mean, if anybody's going to get it, it's, you know, it's us. And some of you are like, hey, I know some pastor kids. So I don't know if they're getting in at all. Anyway, uh, but I just, you know, I'm in. I'm, I'm related. I'm in. I went to a Bible school, and that, that's where I feel like I really came online with Christ, was my second year of being a Bible school student. But it was in a, a series of events that God just brought to the fore. Uh, as 19-year-old Mark was kind of considering this faith that he's always been around, he brought to the fore just how depraved and lost I am and how awesome and gracious God is to bring into my life a Savior, his Son, who would die for my sins and then defeat death and in him I could do the same. I felt a lot of relief once I kind of understood that and I certainly still to this day feel an incredible amount of joy because of this life that I have in Christ. I hope, you know, it's really easy. If you've been a Christian for a while, it's really easy to kind of lose those things. It becomes a lot of rules, a lot of meetings, you know, you got to show up here and do this. But I pray that you walk out here today being like these two people we're going to read about, Simeon and Anna. I pray that you understand this Christ that we celebrate. That you have this profound sense of relief if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That he has forgiven you of your sins. That you leave with a huge smile on your face. Because you've received the greatest gift that's ever been given, the grace of God in Christ. Read with me this story as it unfolds in the book of Luke. So I said uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, the, the shepherds leave and then some time transpires, about a week probably, uh, because it tells us in Luke chapter 2, 21, that on the eighth day, or eight days after he was born, um, when, when Jesus was circumcised, a custom still to this day in the Jewish faith, uh, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. See, Jesus was born to Jewish parents, and uh, it was according to the prophets and the scriptures that Jesus would be thoroughly Jewish and comply to all the laws uh, as the Messiah of Israel. And so uh, he received, interestingly, the mark of the old covenant, the covenant that was given to God or given to Abraham by God. And, uh, and he would, as he grew and became an adult, uh, displace that covenant, replace that covenant with a new covenant in himself. Uh, when we celebrate communion and we take of the bread and of the cup, that's the covenant that he instituted, a faith in him that supersedes the Jewish faith and is made available to all. Uh, a little bit later, 
In verse 22, uh, literally like 32 days later, the Jews were very specific on their dates. Eight days, circumcision, 40 days. Go to a place of worship, whether it was the synagogue, if you were too far from the temple, but preferably go to the temple in Jerusalem and there uh, make sacrifices, provisions according to the Jewish uh, sacrificial system uh, for your purification. Like it says here, when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, that's referring to Mary's purification. Uh, Read Leviticus and other books where the Jewish laws are outlined. Ladies, if you had a a baby, uh, after 40 days, you had to make a sacrifice to become ceremonially clean again after the birth of a child. That would take place at the temple. Uh, But they kind of had a a, a twofer here, a two-for-one kind of packaging because as Mary was going to purify herself according to the uh, Jewish laws, uh, they were also coming to the temple with their firstborn son. As it goes on to say, uh, when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Parenthetically, Luke says, as it is written... In the law of the Lord, every male, this is Ezekiel 13, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Anybody remember the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament? Anybody remember him? Samuel was this miracle baby. He was born to his mother Hannah, who had, up to the point of his birth had been infertile. And Hannah made this promise in the first couple chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. He said, she said, Lord, if, if, if you give me this child, I will give him back to you. And in fact, that's exactly what she did when he was of a certain age. She took her first son, Samuel, to the high priest, a guy named Eli, and just said, here he is. And Samuel grew up in the, in, uh, with the high priest, serving him uh, at that time. So it became a custom then. Firstborns are a big player in the Old Testament. It became a custom in the Jewish religion for firstborns to be dedicated to the service of God. So Mary purifies herself. Joseph and Mary dedicate Jesus, their firstborn son, to the service of God. That's why they're at the temple that day. Was that loud? Anyway. Everybody up to speed? It says later that uh, in verse 24, they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the law, a pair of turtle doves, young pigeons. Uh, what we learn from this is that uh, Mary and Joseph were broke. There were a couple standards, a couple levels, tiers of uh, sacrifices. Uh, there was a heifer required. If you were of you know, a, 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 you know, a, a certain means, you would bring that more expensive sacrifice. But if you were seen as poor, uh, you could actually offer these lesser sacrifices, birds, uh, in replacement. So purification, presentation, dedication, uh, all those things take place as they're here at the temple. And it says, verse 25, here comes our characters that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. When I hear consolation, I think prize. Like the consolation prize, like you didn't win. Yeah, Israel uh, was, uh, since the beginning of uh, time, since the onset of sin, had been in this, um, this waiting period They needed consoling. Uh, They were not winning. Uh, This consolation in other uh, translations is is termed the hope of Israel. Simeon was waiting for the hope of Israel to arrive. In other passages, we understand this to be the Messiah. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 26, it says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God spoke to Simeon and said, amen. You're going to be on this earth until the Messiah comes. Um, that could maybe be seen two ways, like, oh, I've got to live a long time. Or, great, before I die, 
I'm going to lay eyes on the one that you have promised. My waiting will come to an end. It says um, that in verse 27, he, he came in the spirit that day, the same day that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were in the temple doing their purification and presentation and dedication. He, Simeon, comes to the, to the temple led by the spirit that day, and, and the parents of Jesus brought the child in uh, to do for him according to the law, as we already read. And, and Simeon says here, took him up in his arms. He comes to this couple. He's never met him before, but he just walks up to Mary and Joseph, and he says, can I hold your baby? Who's letting someone like that hold a baby? Is anybody letting someone like that hold a baby? In our culture, we're like, uh, I need to uh, make a phone call, 911, right? I mean, that's what we're, that we're not letting that happen. But this old man, this righteous and devout man, walks up to Mary and Joseph and says, Hey, can I hold your baby? And he holds Jesus in his arms and he blesses God. He praises God. He honors God. And he says to God, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. What's he saying? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. They should make that a hymn. There he is. I can die in peace now. What Simeon was doing for us was he's basically making uh, this statement in those words. He's saying, listen, the world is no longer on hold. The wait's over. Messiah has come. Now, to this point, it, it had kind of been more of a hush-hush uh, uh, operation. The, the, the only ones that really knew from what we understand in Scripture were Mary and Joseph, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, who was in the womb. We'll get to him later. Anyway, uh, uh, but, but then the shepherds, and, and sure, it tells us in Luke 2.20 that the shepherds left and started telling everybody else, but who's going to listen to a bunch of shepherds? Come on. You know, they work out in the fields. They don't really have anybody to talk to except the sheep. This has been pretty covert, but here in the temple, in a crowded temple at sacrifice time, Simeon, this righteous and devout, we can reason that he was respected and revered. This, this man, Simeon, I don't know if he did it privately and quietly with Mary and Joseph, or he went all like Lion King and he held Jesus up like this. I don't know what he did. But he is making a call. He's saying, the wait is over. Messiah has come. I don't know if there was cheering in the temple that day. I don't know if even people paid attention. But his statement was huge. He goes on to explain further the implications of this, and he tells us all that there's, there's no more waiting on salvation for all people. I've, I've been to, uh, you know, Walmarts and other places that have just cash registers lined up for miles, you know what I'm talking about, and, and dur during this season especially, not so much anymore because people are ordering online. God bless Amazon, everybody with me? But... Uh, um, but back in the days when that was not an option, stores would just swell to the point where it was almost unbearable. Black Fridays, remember those? Back when those were bigger. And so uh, you, you would come to these register lines and they would just be wrapped around. Anybody been in one of those? 20 people deep, just wrapped around. Uh, and I, I remember distinctly one Christmas, um, the heavens opened and God's grace came down because as I'm, now I'm not all the way into the line, I'm kind of the last guy before you get to the chocolates and, you know, national choirs. I'm right here, right? And there she was, like an angel, walking towards uh, the 
unopened lined right next to me. You could tell she's kind of putting that thing that they keep their keys on that looks like a phone cord from back in the, right? She's wrapping that around her, her arm and she's kind of, you just, she's putting her vest on. She's, she's just clocked in. She's just opening up and someone has instructed her to open up lane five. And she's going to say those amazing words. Hey, I'll take whoever's ready over here in lane five. You may want to guess who was ready. <laughs> this guy, right? And the wait was over. And I walked around, and soon I was freed <laughs> from the experience of Walmart at Christmas. <laughs> That's kind of what I picture Simeon doing here in the temple. Mine eyes have seen. We are all free now because I'm holding in my hands the salvation that God has sent us. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of how many peoples? All of them. Now, this, this was a revolutionary statement. Up to this point, uh, the Jews in the temple might have been like, pardon me? You're opening this up to who? The Messiah is for us. He's a very Jewish Messiah. Not for all peoples. But Simeon says, no, this salvation is for all peoples. This child is a light for revelation. He's going to turn the lights on. For everybody, especially, he says here, or specifically to the Gentiles. And he will remain a glory for our people. God has used our people Israel. This is what he told, God told Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 17. He says, Abraham, here's my covenant with you. Here's my promise. I'm going to use your seed, your line. We know them as the Jewish race, the Jewish people. I'm going to use your people to bring forth my solution, my salvation for all of mankind. That's the part of the prophecy that uh, perhaps some of the Jews at the time and even some today would be like, well, that's not the case. It's just for us. But here Simeon makes it very clear. God will glorify himself through this one who has come to be salvation for all people. Look what it says in verse 33. It says, his father, Joseph, earthly father, and his mother, Mary, marveled at what was said about him. Yeah, because this pretty much private experience of theirs with angels and, and with shepherds was now being communicated in the house of God himself. Here in the temple, a righteous and devout man was affirming everything that had been shared and said to them. Hmm. I love that Jesus is salvation personified. He's the agent of rescue for all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. If you're sitting here this morning and like me, uh, you've gone in, into that place in life, that, that, that understanding in life where you, Jesus isn't just the subject of some Sunday morning service you went to or, or, or the, 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 you know, the person that we celebrate at Easter and Christmas and and is just part of the religious you know, downline that I have, if he's truly your savior and personally you have received from him his salvation, then, then you get what Simeon's talking about. How great is this? God has chosen to save the world through this baby that I hold. But he goes on and he says, man, there's gonna be some tough times ahead. He basically, as he continues to share uh, what God is impressing upon his heart with these parents, 
Uh, he says the good news won't sound good to some. Just so you know, uh, gear up. <laughs> There's going to be lots in the world who um, hear about this solution, this salvation. Uh, Jesus, the word Yeshua means God delivers. This deliverer is going to be um, someone who many accept and whose lives are changed because of it, but he's going to be someone that lots reject. Uh, this is how he, you know, he said it to Mary. Uh, he says, and Simeon blessed them, uh, the parents of Jesus, verse 34. He blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, hey, behold, which is kind of like Greek for listen up, uh, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. I love that that's how he describes Jesus here because here's how salvation works, just so you know. You have to be humbled so that you can be made new. You have to be taken low so that you can be lifted up. Like if you're going to follow Christ, you have to, the first thing I tell people when they're considering trust in Jesus, I say, well, you've got to admit that you need a Savior. Because it's not just enough for you to adopt, an, a relig adopt a religion. You have to understand your profound need that's caused by sin. Our sins are such that they can't be forgiven. A perfect God, excuse me, they can be forgiven, but not overcome uh, by our means, by our uh, you know, methods. We, we can't purge ourselves of our sins. It's always going to be impossible. That's why God sent a Savior. And so people who don't like to hear that they sin, anybody know a couple of those? People who don't like to hear that they're wrong? People who don't like to hear that they're sinners or that they have anything that needs saving from, they're just going to you know, patently say, no thanks. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, but he'll also be a sign that is opposed. People are going to disagree with him. They're going to get so vehemently opposed to him that eventually, as he graduates to his adult years, there'll be a group of them that basically rise up and orchestrate his murder. They'll kill him. And then from that, they'll... They'll continue to proceed from the story, those who are doubters and cynics and, and uh, deniers and, and even people who grow up in the, in the church and in the faith, they'll, they'll, they'll hit you know, certain stages of life where they um, you know, are disappointed by uh, life circumstances or uh, disillusioned by other teachings that they hear. And, and people are just going to kind of you know, wander and, and, and just, it's going to be likely, Mary, that many will oppose this amazing son that's been given you. He even whispers this, that's why I think it's in parentheses, he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's what a mom wants to hear, 40 days into having a baby, right? Yeah, this is gonna hurt. There's gonna be times where you wonder what's really going on. In fact, you go forward in the Gospels and a little bit later, Mary, as Jesus is an adult and he's begun his ministry years, Mary gets uh, Jesus' brothers and, and goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, maybe it's time for you to come home. It's like an intervention. You know, maybe, maybe this is getting a little out of hand. People are following you. You're saying all these things. It's getting a little crazy. And Jesus says, oh, Mom, Mom, even you doubt. Even you don't understand. Huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a confusing can be a confusing thing. But, but look at how it finishes in verse 35. It says, 
Uh, all of these will happen, all these things. There'll be those who rise and fall and accept and, and trust Christ. There'll be those who oppose him. Uh, but in the end, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. It's all going to happen so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is kind of an interesting Greek linguistic thing. That word many there is often translated all in other parts of Scripture. And, and we know from other parts of Scripture that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who's heard that one before? There, there's not going to be anyone who is left without account without uh, you know, having made some decision or, or had, had some you know, placing in, in this whole Christ conversation. He says, listen, everybody will make up their mind. Some, someone have, some will oppose and, and, and some will accept, but every heart will be revealed. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. If... Uh, you, like so many others, you know, have your reservations or your complete objections and, and Christ just doesn't make sense to you. It's, uh, it, it's understandable. There's hard parts of it for me, even as a pastor for 30 years. But I want to leave you just with a couple things that Paul said as, as he was kind of encountering the same kinds of objections. He was talking to his friends in Corinth and he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 118. He says, the word of the cross, the gospel, is going to seem like foolishness. It's folly to those who are uh, not believing in it, perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. He's going to go on. He's going to impugn, impugn the wisdom of man. He's going to talk about how wise men aren't really all that wise. And, and if we're being honest, I mean, we know a bunch, but we don't know it all. Can we all confess that? Humanity hasn't got everything figured out. But then he finishes up, and in verse 25, if we can throw that up on the screen, in verse 25, uh, he says this. He says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. He says, listen, I know it's going to be hard for us sometimes to explain everything and, and keep everything in line, but in the end, God's designed it that way so that we by faith must accept where we cannot completely understand. We by faith must receive from God what he gives, even though everything cannot be buttoned up neatly. There's one more character that comes into the story, and I just want to talk about her as we close as we consider this season and we hopefully tap into these, um, these great themes, these great feelings of relief and joy, I want us to also remember if we are here and we have received from God uh, this faith that we have in Christ and from that the forgiveness of sins and, 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 and life with him eternally, then here's my reminder for us. We see it in this woman, Anna. That when the wait ends for us, when we finally understand who Christ is and the wait is over and, and we've received him, then, then our mission is to let others know that their wait can be over as well. That they can receive as we've received the joy of this salvation. It says in uh, chapter 2, verse 36, as this is going on with Simeon and Mary and and Joseph, and they're talking about this, this child that Simeon holds. It says uh, there was a prophetess. Her name was Anna. She was the daughter of a guy named Phanuel uh, from the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, and she'd lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin, and then, then as a widow until she was 84. So she's at least 84. In fact, uh, some scholars have actually proffered this, that, that maybe she got married around 13, 14, 15 years old. That's when they got married back then. She lived for seven years with her husband until 21, 22, 23. Then he died, and then she lived another four years, and I don't know what the math on that is, but I think it's right around 96, 97 years old. That's pretty old. It's a good run, right? This was without Medicaid, 
without MRIs, without uh, you know, stints. And, uh, she's lived to a, a ripe old age. She, like Simeon, is devout in her faith. Uh, it tells us that she uh, did not depart from the temple, even at this later age in life. She just, she just slept there. She lived there. She wouldn't leave. Uh, she worshiped and fasted and prayed night and day. And it says that the, the coming of that very hour, that hour where Simeon says, he's here. What was her first move? Good, now I can leave. I've been at the temple for a long time. Now I'm going uh, to go worship and pray and fast some more. Now her first move upon hearing, seeing the Messiah in the flesh was to thank God, sure, but then to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Christmas is going to come Wednesday, and here's what might happen in your house. Phone calls from family and friends who aren't there with you that day. I remember as a kid, you know, one of the first questions my uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents would ask me, what'd you get? Not like one of the first questions you get, because Christmas is a day of giving, and so what did they give you? What'd you get? Right? And, you know, I would always say, you know, my list of things, I would save the socks and underwear until the last, because those aren't really gifts. Come on, you need those. Those are just, those are just trying to, you know, make it look like there's more presents under the tree. Parents, knock it off. That's not, don't wrap those. It's like wrapping deodorant. Oh, come on. Don't put that in the stocking either. That's lame too. Don't do that. All right. But I would detail all the cool gifts. I got a Tonka truck, and I got the Batmobile, and I got some Planet of the Apes figures, and I'd just wrap, you know, just, and they'd be like, so, oh, I'm so glad, oh, I'm so, I know you wanted that, oh, so great. Never once uh, when my family called me and asked me what I got for Christmas did I ever mention what Christmas was all about. And I didn't need to. Most of them already knew Jesus. I get it, all that stuff. But, but here's, here's my challenge for us as those calls come in as we grab our phones to start posting the selfies and the pictures of what's happened in our homes. When people ask you what you got for Christmas this year, start with the story we just discussed. What I got for Christmas was relief and joy. I mean... Sure, every Christmas, and certainly this Christmas, but at the first Christmas, when Jesus came, it set up the whole story. The whole thing came into focus. The wait was over. What did I get for Christmas? I got the opportunity to be saved from my sins. What did I get for Christmas? I got the love of God in ways that cannot be measured in words. What did I get for Christmas? I got the opportunity that I could never forge for myself, a freedom I could never win for myself. I was given the grace of God in Christ, and it's made all the difference in my life. And some of you are like, that's great, Mark. You do that. That's awesome. That's an awesome idea. Pastors should do that, absolutely. And it would totally make sense from you. They know where you work. That would totally make sense. Uh, I want to remind you and encourage you to remember 
that even as Simeon was describing this light of revelation, this hope for the Gentiles, that you have been commissioned by the one who has saved you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, to be that light in this world, to be that messenger of his good news. And some of you are like, well, Mark, that'll sound weird. Hey, newsflash, Christians. We've been weird, we are weird, and in the world that we live in, we're getting weirder. <laughs> we're not fitting. So if we're not gonna fit anyway, Let's at least put it out there. And some of you, yeah, but Mike, you know, it's going to make, you know, New Year's weird when I see them at the party and stuff like that. Listen, look at me. Lean in and hear this. God uses the craziest, littlest, seemingly most insignificant things to turn the souls of men to himself. And all it takes is the courage of those that he has given his grace to to start the process in people who you might think there is no way in H-E, that word, that this person will ever be anywhere in the future but that word. There's no way. But Saul the Christian killer became Paul the apostle. And Mark the dirtbag who sinned his brains out became your pastor. And the, yeah, and the grace of God is sufficient in every life and all it takes is a toe in the door, a glimmer of the light, someone to say something somewhere, somehow to somebody so that person can know the joy that you and I received at Christmas and experience the relief of their sins saved. Would you please tell somebody of the joy that you have in you? Amen. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Clap all you want. Happy for that. Go do it. Will you stand with me as we sing? Let's sing. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake, you died. Thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ for his arrival 
uh, as we uh, uh, prepare and live in this time between uh, his first coming and his second coming. Um, Father, help us to live life in the joy and relief that is our salvation. Uh, help us to live, uh, Lord, ready to speak of uh, this joy that you've given us, to be given account of what's happened, uh, of who we've been made and how we've been made new uh, in Christ. Give us opportunities. I pray that in the midst of wrapping, flying, and, 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 and food being eaten at this Christmas, as we meet with those that we know and love who don't know you, you'd give us the courage and the words to talk about what we believe, about what we have in Christ. And I pray that we would see a harvest of souls, of men and women and children who haven't known you, who will know you, and will understand um, the relief and joy that comes in your salvation alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.